Welcome back to episode 126 of the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and I thought we could just start off the podcast as usual by just letting people know if they're a new listener what the podcast is all about. So what we do is we have a customer support podcast, I guess you could say. That isn't to say that if you're not a current customer of the Mandarin Blueprint method that you couldn't get a lot out of it, but the conceit behind the podcast is that people every week will send us questions or comments on our course platform, will respond to those comments on the podcast, send them a link to where we responded to their comment, and much of it will become course content in the future, specified for the place in the sequence that it's appropriate. So for example, if I answer a question about a specific word, uh, we'll put the video at the lesson for that specific word. Now that may, might make you wonder, what is the Mandarin Blueprint method? Well, we have decided to make a course that builds Chinese from the bottom up, starting with the simplest of components, starting with your basic pronunciations, and starting with simple characters into simple words into simple sentences. So the idea is that you never leave a place in your learning that is related to what you already know. You start with something simple that anybody could learn, no matter whether they've had any experience with Chinese or not, and then you just build off that. So you start off with a component. That component can also be a character. You go to that character uh, and you combine it with the next character that you learn. And those two characters together could create a word. As you continue to build up more characters and words, you then can create simple sentences that are grammatically correct and therefore count as comprehensible input. Comprehensible input is the key to language acquisition. All that really has to happen for you to acquire a language is that you see or hear a message and you understand what it is. So you read a sentence or you hear somebody say a sentence and you understand the underlying meaning. The more you do that, the faster you acquire a language. So this is why immersion environments often are very effective, but this can be tricky with Chinese because the writing system is so completely foreign to the alphabetic writing systems that are common in Western countries. So we built the course with that in mind. And what's nice about this, what this has allowed us to do is give people very precise lessons. So you could imagine that we build up a backbone of characters and words and uh, basic grammar points. But at any point, we can slot in something that is perfectly appropriate for that moment in the sequence. So when you have a linear curriculum like we do, we know exactly what any member of the course has learned and thus know the perfect time to show you a new concept. And this is so important. Many uh, online Chinese learning resources have great content, but content in and of itself isn't valuable unless the timing of the content is just right. So simple way to understand this, imagine that there's a great piece of content on a website about how to handle going to a hospital in China and the vocabulary you might need to learn. And maybe they have a sample dialogue of how you might talk to the doctor or the uh, hospital administrator. Well, this could be perfect if you happen to have just learned 
the final character so that you know 100% of the characters. That's the perfect time to see that. Maybe 98% of the characters is also pretty good. But if you don't know any characters, obviously this lesson is of no use to you. And so the lesson becomes more and more useful the more of the fundamentals that you understand. And so that's why the Mandarin Blueprint Method has received so much praise and so much, uh, uh, so many five-star reviews, which we now have hundreds of five-star reviews, thank you to the uh, many people who have left us Google reviews and Facebook reviews. But as a result of this, we can now slot in any new questions or comments or grammar points or new words or uh, ideas about how to think about individual characters. We always have this as an option moving forward, and it makes Mandarin Blueprint and the Mandarin Blueprint method very powerful. So this is why the Mandarin Blueprint podcast is focused on those questions that come in during the week that are related to specific lessons in the course. We also answer emails that go to podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. And we answer uh, community forum questions. So these are the three sources of the fodder for the podcast. So if you want to get involved, the best way and the uh, priority goes to people who are on the course. And you can do a 14-day free trial uh, at any time by going to mandarinblueprint.com. Uh, and we'll, of course, answer any questions uh, that come up in those sections. And that, that isn't to say that 100% of the comments we address in the podcast, but certainly 100% of the comments we uh, reply to. And if we don't, it's a, it's a mistake on our part. It's an oversight. All right. So one update I'd like to give on the plan for the course. We've been talking a lot about uh, the different upgrades we want to make to the first five phases of the course and the intermediate course. So uh, I just wanted to update you guys on where we're at with those updates and what we're thinking next. So first, let's start with the phase two updates. Phase two is where we focus on how to learn vocabulary. Now, when we say vocabulary, what we mean is uh, words of two or more characters. Some words are only one character, but since you already have a method that we teach in phase one for learning individual characters, all you need to know is that the character you learned is also a word, and then you'll be pretty much good to go from there. Uh, however, for two or more character words, you want to have some kind of method to learn them, especially when you haven't yet reached the grammar and context stages of the course. So what are the best ways to learn a compound word? Well, that's what we're working on introducing in phase two. So we've already introduced uh, a sort of theory-based set of videos at the beginning of level seven, eight, nine, and 10 of phase two. So if you're already on the course and you're either beyond phase two or you uh, are in phase two currently, you might wanna check those out to get a sense of what the theory behind vocabulary mnemonics might be. But we're also reshooting the new vocab unlocked videos from phase two as well. That's still in progress. So we'll see those coming out maybe in a week to two weeks from now. Uh, so keep an eye out for those. And they will go into quite a bit of detail about all the different techniques you can use to memorize a character. So you might think about how it sounds. What are the meanings of the individual characters? What are the meanings of the components? How about what the uh, individual uh, compound finals, the, the different sounds, for example, wa, that's u and a, 
So perhaps you can find a way to get ooh and ah together and make a sound mnemonic that way. So there's loads of techniques. We'll go over all of them in those videos. And we have a vocab mnemonics cheat sheet PDF that you can download from one of those theory videos I just mentioned. So that's available for download now. You can just go to the uh, level seven intro and there's a, a lesson called The Logic of Living Links. And in that lesson, you can download the vocab mnemonics cheat sheet, which is very helpful. So that's the phase two update and where we're at with it. Now, the other update that's coming relatively soon is the intermediate course long form stories. Now, there are 64 stories, uh, three per level uh, and a couple extra towards the end of the uh, intermediate course. And... At the moment, they have all gone through the rigorous process of making sure they're at 98% comprehension, which is the extensive reading level. So as you get to the intermediate course, your foundation is very strong. You can learn very quickly uh, by seeing things in context. So when you get to that level where you know uh, more than 80% of Chinese by frequency, which is what we cover in the foundation course, then you can start getting into some really interesting topics. I, I, some of the topics covered in the... Intermediate stories include things like uh, Kobe Bryant and how Chinese people uh, viewed Kobe, Kobe Bryant and the uh, sadness and mourning they felt at his uh, untimely um, passing away. And then also a, a very interesting article about Hong Kong from the mainland Chinese perspective. And it's, it's interesting because it makes a couple of economic points, but it's mostly apolitical. It's just kind of like sort of talking about the view of Hong Kong from a mainland uh, Chinese perspective, which is very cool. There's one about Miniso, which is a, a small shop for accessories that's become really successful in China. One about bike shares. Uh, there's one about uh, a couple of a business, American business tycoon who's uh, really um, popular in China. You have one about uh, smartphones and the effect on society and all of that. Just really fascinating stuff. And you wouldn't think that you'd be able to get into such interesting topics, but you totally can once you have enough foundation under your belt, because even if you don't necessarily have the characters and the high-level vocabulary to say certain words, you certainly have enough vocabulary to describe what it is that you want to say. So the more advanced you get, the more efficient you get with your second language. However, that doesn't mean that your fluency doesn't come a lot earlier because fluency is about being able to communicate your meaning. Now, if that takes you a sentence or two to communicate something that could be said in a word, then you're not as efficient as you will be, but you still got your meaning across, so you're fluent. And what's really interesting is in the intermediate course, you'll start to see just how much you can understand and just how interesting the topics can get uh, once you've built up that foundation. Now, the next stage for these long form pieces of content is to get them recorded. Now, we did face a little bit of a delay here because originally uh, we were going to have it recorded at a studio here in Chengdu. And then I discovered that, in my opinion, they were charging a bit too much for the recording, especially since this is kind of an interesting cultural phenomenon here in China. Almost all audio entertainment or audio uh, educational content is 
in a form of Chinese that is super formal. And it's read by people who've gone to broadcasting college. Like there's a lot of work here in China for people who have gone to the broadcasting uh, college at a university. And uh, it sounds great and it sounds very accurate. However, I don't think it's the right thing for Chinese learners to be listening to because Chinese learners are, are going to interact with people who, even if they're speaking Mandarin, they're not speaking it like a news broadcaster. They're not uh, giving that super uh, polished and perfect type of talking into a professional microphone level of uh, quality. And for some reason, I rarely find any kind of recording in China that is not that type of professional super polished quality. So it's taken a little bit for us to find a couple people who were kind of willing to just speak casually and and not feel like they were, you know, off base with that. But luckily we found them now. And so we're going to be getting them started on that this week. And so once we get the recordings from them, uh, we'll be able to start to publish those lessons very soon afterwards. So that's an update on the intermediate course. Now we have the phase three and phase four and phase five updates, which we're to some degree officially putting on hold for now, because after the intermediate course and the phase two updates are ready to go, we're going to start working in earnest on the advanced course. Now, uh, for those of you who are looking forward to the advanced course, I just want to say that starting on it and finishing it are, there's going to be a big gap between them because it's going to more than double the size of the course. And so even just during the research phase, we're going to have to spend a fair bit of time. But let's suppose we get that finished relatively quickly or quicker than expected because we did it previously with the foundation and the intermediate course. So maybe we're a little bit faster this time. But then we still have to make, you know, all of the lessons. We have to make all of the lesson thumbnails. We have to make all the lesson descriptions and uh, plan out everything within the course itself and then we have to make the flashcards and we have to you know as you can imagine there's just several administrative processes that you can't really rush and so uh we will be focusing on that though with the goal of finishing it and releasing at least a part of it and hopefully most of it by the end of the year so we'll see if we can stick to that uh moving forward now, we have one more update that I want to tell you about, but it's directly related to a comment that was left in the community forum by Eleanor Todd. So I thought I would start with that and go into what that update's going to be. So Eleanor said, I just watched the podcast with Christine, and she's referring to a conversation we had with Christine. Uh, she's uh, down in New Zealand, and she has... Uh, been a great contributor to the course. We had an awesome conversation with her uh, where that we released last week where she goes through a lot of her pro tips for how to um, use the Mandarin Blueprint materials, but also find resources in other places. It's a very useful podcast for anyone who uh, is looking for some better tips uh, as they, they advance into the intermediate course and beyond. So just a flagging that there, that that's a great podcast to listen to. Continuing with Eleanor's comment. I'm aware of how much I need to improve my listening comprehension and wanted any help I could get. So it was 
that I laughed when I found that we kind of came up with the same solution. What I did was create a new Anki deck that has the same note information as the vocab and context deck, but the front asked me to understand the audio and produces the audio. So you can imagine that the front of the flashcard says, you know, what uh, does this sentence say and plays the audio file. And then continuing, the back asks me to shadow the sentence and shows the hands along with playing the sentence audio again. There's a little flag I set if it's a two-part dialogue so both parts can play on the front. Good idea. I really do think something like this is a good thing to add to the course. This seems to have helped a lot. I'm starting to understand a good bit more in meetings with my Chinese co-workers. Right, so there's a couple of responses I have to this and I'll kind of tie that into an update we're doing. So. <clears throat> First of all, this is great stuff. This is I love this idea of shadowing the sentence, uh, and I love the idea of having listening on the front to help improve your listening comprehension. So we will definitely be applying this in our new flashcard system that we'll be uh, uh, going live with at some point uh, this year. So that's the first update is that we've made some progressions on that. And, you know, a couple people on the community forum we're lamenting a bit that we wouldn't be using Anki as our primary as our primary flashcard software after we make this switch. But to those people, I would just say keep an open mind because I the user experience on this uh, we're working on it right now, and I'm pretty impressed. It's it's going to be quite uh, cool to see how this works. And once again, we've gotten up to about eight beta testers at this point, uh, and we're trying to get to about 25. So I like asking on the podcast because it ensures that the only people who will email us and let us know that they're interested in being a beta tester will be people who are um, particularly interested. So if um, you're, you know, because many people may be on the course, but they don't listen to the podcast in detail. So if you're interested in being a part of the beta test, uh, just send us an email and um, we'll put you on the list. We're trying to get it to about 25. We've had eight signups so far for that. Uh, and, you know, what we're going to, find through the beta test is how to make the new flashcard software work in such a way that it feels very intuitive, it feels um, fun, and it gives you uh, good feedback and helps you get a sense of success. Here's a really cool thing that you're going to be able to do. I'm really excited about this. I mean, like, obviously, anything before a beta test, I feel, I must say, it is a tentative feature, but this is what we're going to do. So after the flashcard system is ready to go, for each card, there's going to be uh, a link to the flashcard on our actual course. And you don't click the link for every card. What you do is you click the link at the final fact you learned in a study session. So you'll go to uh, courses.mannerblueprint.com, you'll sit down for a study session, and when you get to the last lesson that you're going to do in that particular session, you click the link, the final link in that lesson, and it will take you to the flashcard software. The flashcard software will, will automatically figure out where you left off uh, and the link that you clicked, and it will have you go through the learn mode for those, you know, say 20 flashcards that you went through. So it'll pick up where you left off in the previous study session, and then you'll do this thing called learn mode, where you'll, uh, for example, for props, you'll add in your prop. For uh, actors and sets, you'll add in your particular actor and set, uh, and you'll 
add any notes if you want to, and add them to your review queue. And this is really nifty because it what it'll allow you to do is, um, you know, go through the course in such a way that it will all just be put forward to you much more clearly than going to Anki and unspending cards and then, you know, trying to make sure your parent deck and child deck settings are all correct. So this will make the user experience much more interesting. So we'll apply this type of listening comprehension card in the new flashcard software. So this listening comprehension card that Eleanor is talking about is pretty neat. Now, another thing I wanted to mention here, Certainly when we add this to our software, we're going to make these cards optional because these this type of card will take a long time. If you were to do this with every single sentence, um, you're going to be, you know, think about it. You have a sentence and you have to listen to the whole sentence and then you want to shadow the whole sentence. So that alone means that it's at least a minute, probably you know, maybe, maybe more. I mean, it depends on how, or maybe it could be a little bit less, could be a bit more if you really want to nail the shadowing and repeat the audio and all of that. So I would mention that if you're going to do this, do this for sentences that you like or sentences that catch your attention and, you know, maybe do it uh, just occasionally enough so that you do them every day, but not enough so that uh, it's taking up the majority of your study time. Um, because we, you know, if you have 10,000 sentences, the amount of time you'd have to spend just on that one deck, if you made every sentence a listening comprehension card, uh, then that would be ultimately be inefficient because of course you're gonna get lots of listening comprehension practice as you get to the higher levels of longer form content. So uh, I would say use this surgically, use this type of card surgically. Uh, secondly, we are in the process of labeling all of the audio files with their level, the sentence name, and whether it's male or female. And by doing this, we're gonna be able to bundle all the audios together and give them to you for immersion. This will also help with listening comprehension. So this, this will be the thing that happens next. I mean, it's again, it's not ready yet. I would still, I would give this one another three to four weeks before we uh, have it finished, because it's actually quite a long process. But when we do that, we're going to be able to bundle all of the level's sentences together. And at the end of the level, you'll be able to download them all and play them. You can play them in the background of your just day-to-day -day life. Uh, you can have them playing. And uh, Christine gave a great uh, piece of advice in her podcast where she said you can put your music settings, say on an iPhone, to repeat the current track over and over. And that way you can keep listening to it and keep listening to it and keep mastering it and then voluntarily choose to move to the next track. And then you keep listening to it and keep listening to it and keep shadowing it. Uh, and usually there's a little bit of space between the end of the recording and when it repeats so that if there's enough space, which usually there is, you can say it, you can listen and repeat, listen and repeat, listen and repeat, and then shadow, which means say it at the same time as the speaker. So it can it give you this great opportunity to speak and listen. And because the file name is the sentence, you can even see the file name on your phone and read and listen and speak. So it's pretty nifty how that will work. And of course, you can turn off the repeat one track over and over and just have it play uh, as a form of immersion uh, in your background. So that would be, that'll help your listening comprehension quite a bit as well. So Thanks so much to the people in the community for bringing up this point and 
emphasizing this point so much because I agree, you can always get better with your listening comprehension. Listening comprehension uh, is the most difficult and it comes last. So it's very important to uh, put some emphasis on it. So let's go to the next comment, which is from Hank Elliott on the final lesson in the foundation course. So the very end of phase five. I always like to see comments here because this is a big milestone for people. 80% of Chinese by frequency. So Hank says, I have loved this course from the first day. I'm reading entire stories in Chinese. I'm teaching English to young Chinese kids online. I'm on my way to actually learning this beautiful ancient language. 592 characters in less than six months. Crazy. I'll be glad to do a case study. Once I have reviewed all the stories and paragraphs a few more times and feel that I have earned graduation from the foundation, <laughs> I'm a little behind on a couple of the longer content items, but I will be plugging ahead into the intermediate in just a few short days. I'm so happy and excited. Thanks, Luke and Phil Hank. You know, we never get tired of reading this stuff because uh, even though you know, it's funny, like there's always still like this some part of my brain that goes like, uh, you know, this isn't really helpful. People don't really like it, but you know, it's, it, I know it's effective because it was effective for me. And, uh, it's so great to see something like that. Hank, congratulations. You know, you, you, we showed you the path maybe, but you walked it. And so now you really know this stuff and that's, um, you know, we're, we're proud of you for sure. Let's do a case study. Uh, come on and let's talk about it. Let's talk about your experiences and thanks so much for your effort. You know, we can't, do any of this without the effort and attention of the people on the course. And, you know, you guys are our lifeblood. So uh, thanks so much. Next, we have David Andlinger on Jitian in context. I picked up the meaning of this sentence in an instant. Your method is really, really good. I am literally blown away. Well, I'm so glad to uh, hear that. I somewhat doubt you were literally blown away, David, but uh, <laughs> I um, I think it's excellent stuff. And, you know, the, that is really a, a huge moment when you can start to read sentences and you don't need pinyin and you're just like, whoa, that's uh, that's pretty wild. And then sometimes, of course, you're going to be like, I don't know if I totally understand that sentence, but you can start to put things together. And uh, as, as I always suggest to people when they're in the sentence phase, if there's any given sentence that's giving you trouble, uh, don't worry too much about it. Like the key is it's when it comes to comprehensible input and uh, getting sentences, quantity is actually a bit more important than quality overall. I mean, we'll do our best to continue to improve the quality, but leave that to us. Leave the quality to us. If you don't understand something totally, keep reading because the thing that'll happen a lot, and this happens over and over and over as you're learning, is you don't totally understand a sentence, but then you keep reading and then you run across a sentence that's similar, or maybe a sentence that's almost the same, and that just clicks into place the thing you didn't understand. And then if you see the sentence another time, you'll totally get it. So uh, there's this sort of sense that if you keep going and you don't totally get it, that you're going to, I don't know, you'll never understand it, right? Like it's sort of this unconscious uh, idea, but it's not true. You'll definitely understand as you continue to go forward. And um, that's a little bit less true of something like characters. If you don't understand a character, you're struggling with a character, then um, it could just be that you need a break uh, from the hence the movie method. But it's also the if you're struggling with an individual character, uh, that's an essential piece of the language, but no one sentence is ever essential to the language because sentences are infinite. 
potential sentences are infinite. Next, we have Tofu Miao <laughs> on pick a prop for one. She says, pro tip, use GIFs versus still images on occasion when pasting in in props into your flashcards into Anki. It's not for everything, but having a GIF of a fluttering checkered flag solidifies the prop quicker and makes it more memorable. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, because one of the uh, elements of the Henzu movie method or really memory athletics that's so important is movement. So if you're coming up with a scene in your mind's eye, sure, uh, objects that are shiny, um, things that have temperature, slow motion, whatever, they're all a part of it. But just movement in general is often the thing that catches your eye. So if you imagine you're sitting in a room where nothing is moving and then suddenly your cat walks across, we just instinctually look at the movement. Um, so uh, having a GIF versus a still image can be very helpful. And you can totally do that. That's a, definitely a good suggestion. Soren on Vocab Unlocked from me. I can't work out the meaning of the last sentence and Google Translate isn't very helpful, not surprising. Just flagging in case it's useful to know. So here's the sentence. So the structure of this sentence is, I can understand why it might be difficult to figure out because it might not be obvious where the boundaries are between the characters. So we're setting up a comparison by starting the sentence with B, which means to compare. So comparing, uh, well, well, I'll, you can't translate it. The word order is different in English. So like, let's just look at it in Chinese first. So compared to, and then So me means to be lost. That's one of its meanings. You'll notice that it has the road component. Um, but there's a sense of lost that's more abstract and metaphorical. So, for example, if you are lost in songs, you're a fan of them because they they capture your imagination so much that you become lost in it. You become lost in thought. You become lost in song. So a gummy is somebody who's a big fan of music. And I, there's also sort of an implication here that they're probably a fan of like a particular artist and they go crazy at their concerts or whatever. So there's that. So uh, we have compared to uh, fans of music. Then we have And this is a common type of phrase. So first we have which means even more. So certainly if you're a fan of music, if you're a you're pretty you're pretty passionate, right? Uh, but so it's it's certainly would be right to say that they're passionate, but that's why you use gung, because even more passionate is chomi. Chomi is a sports fan, right? So chou is ball. So chomi uh, is a sports fan. So let's see if we can translate the sentence. Compared to fans of music, the even more passionate fans are sports fans, right? So that's kind of a way you could think of that. And this, this idea of is a useful turn of phrase because it's like something kind of like a an adjective um, like kind of and then the implication there is uh, whatever came earlier in the sentence so we have right so is a fan fans are usually they're usually passionate right uh, so 更热情的, 
fans, like we're leaving out the fans after duh there, but that's okay because um, you, you, know, you don't need to repeat it twice. So, and this is a very useful phrase. You could use it in many different contexts with many different adjectives to compare things. And so, um, let me see if I can come up with an idea. Uh, okay, uh, so you have two glasses of water one is this is a really basic uh, example but one glass of water is cold water and one glass of water is cold water with ice in it and you would say um <laughs> something like uh right so it's a silly idea but like the that's the basic structure that you could repeat over and over. It's pretty, pretty neat that way. Next, we have a uh, comment on Vocabulary Unlocked from Yo by Kate Gans. And this is the uh, word yo qi shi. Yo qi shi. And this word means especially, right? So, uh, So, everyone... All, everyone loves uh, uh, soccer, especially Xiaowang, right? So that's how you would use yo qi shi. Now she said yo qi shi sounds a little bit like your t-shirt. Your t-shirt is especially cool. So you can imagine uh, in your mind's eye, there's like three guys with uh, just a normal black t-shirt or white t-shirt or whatever, just simple. And then like somebody's got a I don't know, whatever Kate thinks is the coolest type of t-shirt. Maybe it's a tie-dye or something, whatever. So it's like, your t-shirt is especially cool. Your t-shirt, yo t-shirt, right? So that's kind of a, that I love that. And some of you might be listening and think, that sounds like a stretch. That sounds like it would not work. And you'd be surprised. These types of sound mnemonics, even if they're not quite there, but you can kind of connect them, they work a lot. Um, and so... Well done by Kate there. Next, we have another one on a vocab unlocked lesson from Kate. And uh, this is on the one from Chung. So after you learn the character Chung, you unlock five different words. Wan Chung, Cheng Zhang, Bian Cheng, Cheng Wei, Cheng Ren. And she says, FYI, image search on last item is not safe for work. Well, thank you for putting that there, Kate. There's a couple of words for adult. Uh, in Chinese, and uh, one of them is Daren, uh, and Daren is certainly means uh, an adult. Um, there's other ways of kind of expressing the idea of adult, but that's one. And then the other one is Chengren, but so Daren, the only, sometimes with that one, you don't want to use it because it can mean like, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean adult, but it means like the head of something or like the lord of whatever. I mean, more in sort of formal Chinese. Usually if you're just in spoken Chinese and you say Daren, you're just referring to a an adult. You can also say Cheng Nian Ren, Cheng Nian Ren. So that's this Cheng, and then Nian is a uh, year. So Cheng Nian Ren, that's a, an adult. That's actually the, probably one of the most sort of standard ways. If you say Cheng Nian Ren, there's no doubt that what you're just saying is the, a general word for adult. Now, Cheng Ren, on the other, on the other hand, can actually be an adjective. So you'd think that it just means adult, right? It's a 
uh, biased word, which is ren, and then it's what kind of ren? It's the cheng ren. It's the one who's already turned into a person, right? I mean, obviously kids are people too, but they haven't completely matured. So by saying cheng ren, you're saying they've turned into a person. But it can also be an adjective that is to say like an adult store or an adult movie, right? So this is why it might not be safe for work to look up cheng ren. And also, you'll see stores around China, little little um, uh, stores where you can buy products for the bedroom called uh, Chengren Yongpin. Chengren Yongpin. So it's like a, a products for adult use, basically. And so if you see that, and they're actually, they're kind of all around, surprisingly. So that's kind of interesting. Um, now, let, but while we're talking about this particular lesson, Let's take a moment to look at these five words because cheng is a very useful character. The first one, wan cheng. So this is a great word for just the general sense of finishing something. It's a good, it, it, you know, not only did you finish it one, it turned into cheng, whatever the final result's supposed to be. So wan cheng. Uh, and then you have cheng zhang. So zhang means to grow. And so... To turn into growth is to mature, right? So uh, it's kind of an idea of, uh, how about this? Right? So that's following, that's a really good useful, so is uh, age. So you're like, I'm 33, that's my nianling, right? So, uh, as you follow your age, you mature, right? So that's in a way you might use that. Then we have cheng. So bian means to change and then cheng into, turn into, change, turn into. And this can be compared to bianda. So bianda is used before adjectives. Uh, Right, so after his girlfriend came, his mood became happy. Bianda became happy. Kaisin, so there's an adjective there. Now, Biancheng is followed by a noun. So, uh, right, so, uh, sorry, uh, so that's a, the, the, insect turned into a butterfly, right? And that's the idea there is that you can, you're talking about turning into something, a noun, not just a, uh, a description, right? And then you have cheng wei, which also means to become, but it, it has a little bit of a broader uh, idea. When you say cheng wei, uh, you're kind of getting across the idea of becoming something that takes some time to become, right? So, uh, you know, 成为老师, to become a teacher, right? This isn't something you just, I mean, I suppose mentally you could do it. I'm going to take on a teaching type of educational attitude, but like you, to become a teacher, you have to go through a process. So there's a sense of a process behind 成为. So I figured I would just go through those various uh, different usages of 成 and the five words that it unlocks in the process of putting forward Kate's suggestions. So just be careful, not safe for work to just type in Chengren into your Google image search. Next, we have Hank Elliott on Vocab Unlocked from Yang, 
which means ocean. And so just as a reminder for those of you who uh, are unaware, Chinese has these different words for bodies of water that get progressively bigger uh, and they pretty much all have the water component, if I'm remembering correctly. So yang is the biggest. So that's the, the ocean, right? And then below that is high, which could be uh, a bay, perhaps, or um, like Haiwan is for bay. Um, there's, you know, there's also versions of high. There's, there's some overlap sometimes, which I'll get to in a moment. But and yang is the biggest one. But the word for ocean in Chinese is haiyang. Haiyang. But if you're just looking at the characters themselves, it's like sea and ocean. So it's the same sort of dis distinction that we're making there. Like we say the Black Sea. Okay, that's a pretty big body of water, but it's not as big as the Atlantic Ocean, right? Um, and then you can go down further. Uh, there's Hu, which is lake. There's um, Chi, which is a pond. So there's these different you know, sort of levels. And then you have He, which is a river, and Jiang, which is also a river. And so, that, you know, there's there's those as well. But he's pointing out about Da Xiyang. So he's pointing out, he says, I love it. Big ocean to the west. How many Americans immediately picture the wrong ocean, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good thing to point out. It's funny. I never, that never even occurred to me because uh, the Pacific Ocean is Taipingyang. Taipingyang. And so it's not like that one. It's not like the Pacific Ocean is called the Big East Ocean. It's a different name entirely. So uh, and I can understand kind of why that would happen, because I'm sure for the Chinese, they weren't even aware of the Atlantic Ocean for a part of their history. Uh, and of course, the Pacific Ocean was just the massive ocean uh, right next to their country. So um, but of course, from the Eurasian perspective, the Atlantic Ocean is to the west. And just noticing that difference, that little type, that little, you know, moment of recognition can be the thing you need to remember the word. So awesome stuff from Hank. Gave you our ticker on pick a prop for zhi. And zhi means until. And so she's, uh, the, the character means until. So when you pick a prop, how should you think about this? And she says, Abstract meanings are always hard to visualize and remember. The first thing that came to mind was until the cows come home. And Google found me a picture of some cows on a beautiful tropical beach and a text, I'm on vacation until the cows come home. So for me, this prop will be a cow. I somehow really enjoy that image. These cows definitely look like they won't be coming home anytime soon, if at all. And I wouldn't either if I could travel anywhere right now. 2021, COVID time. So this abstract meaning immediately became one of my most memorable scenes. There are more things going on in the movie, but it's the cows on the beach that are the key for me to remember this. And I, yeah, I love that. And so that's what we'll call like an English word trigger. So you, you see until, until, uh, until the day I die, uh, until, until, uh, until the cows come home. Right. And then you come up with until the cows come home and you go, Whoa, that's, that's got cows in it. Cows is a thing I can search. I can find that. And so sure you might use cow for something else, or you could have used cow for something else. But I tell you, when you come up with something like that, go for it, especially when it's an abstract meaning, because uh, all you have to do, suppose like, for example, you will come across a component that means cow uh, in the future, but it can also mean bull. It's just sort of like 
that animal regardless of whether it's male or female so you could just have that one be a bull in the future and like so there's almost always a way out even if you use a prop um early that might be used later on roland kuffler on unit nine wrap up he says cha versus ja is very hard for me i reviewed the spreadsheet with simple final a and it seems like cha becomes t s h a sound and Ja is D-S-H-A, which is nearly indistinguishable for my ears. Any comments? Interestingly enough, Roland left this comment two lessons before we were going to introduce the Minimal Pairs Anki deck, which is designed exactly for this. And in it, I wasn't surprised to find, I wasn't actually totally sure, but I was, wasn't surprised to find at all that Cha, Ja, and Sha are all in there. And so what the those cards are meant to do is that on the front of the card, you hear audio and it says, did you hear C-H-A second tone or did you hear Z-H-A second tone? Which one was it? And then you say to yourself, it was it was C-H-A second tone. And then it'll reveal whether or not you were right. And these are very useful because you can hear the difference and compare them and get better and better. Then there's another element to this, which is uh, that... One of the things that helps you get better at distinguishing sounds is having a better vocabulary. Now, that might not seem obvious, but it certainly is obvious once you uh, know a lot of words. So, for example, cha, second tone, with C-H-A, uh, that's most commonly used in the word for T, which is just directly cha, but it's also used in the word for, like, investigate or look up, which is in a number of different words. You can actually just say uh, cha yi cha chai cha which means like to look it up or, or reference something oh can you just uh chai cha this person's uh um school records or something and then there's also jian cha jian cha which is like inspection of some sort uh you know an xuan jian cha is your safety inspection or the safety uh you know area at the um airport right um which they'll often just abbreviate to an an jian an jian so an quan jian cha an jian that's a very common thing to see in chinese uh so that so that that's an example of two words that use cha and then for um for cha it's you know used a lot less so you don't see it in a lot of words like um here's one zheng jia which is kind of like to struggle for something. Um, then there's jia, uh, which means like detritus. So like sort of like the stuff that ends up getting like left over in the bottom of a coffee pot or something, which then can be used as like uh, to be in the word jaren, which basically means like scumbag. <laughs> You're the detritus person, right? And so, um, you know, these... The types of words that use cha and use cha and use sha, they aren't related to each other. And so when you build up your vocabulary, you'll start to see that, well, it doesn't make any sense for cha to be here, but it does for ja, right? So that actually will help you a lot. And then the other thing to recognize, so with that in mind, so we have the minimal Paris deck that will help you face the problem directly by practicing it. And then the second one uh, is that the vocabulary words will help you recognize it. The other truth in this is that 
of course you will eventually be able to distinguish between these two. It just takes practice. So at the very beginning, it's tough to distinguish, but naturally over time, you're going to be able to get that difference uh, between the, you know, cha, which has that kind of ch, ch it's a bit more like Charlie Chaplin, right? And ja, ja, which is more to the, like, more like George, right? It's kind of got that ch sound, not the ch, right? And you'll get that, obviously, at some point. Now, you may not get it now, but through the process of listening and building up your vocabulary and uh, doing the Minimal Pairs deck, you'll definitely get it eventually. So uh, those things will all help. Next, we have Alexander Greenwood on Nung Li in context. I was just wondering if this sentence, 你自己有能力工作吗? could imply the connotation, are you able to work by yourself, i.e. individually, rather than within a team? Or is it solely asking about one's ability to work? 你自己有能力工作吗? Right, so this sentence is, if you change the word order, it would mean what Alexander is saying. So one of the things you can look for in sentences that have multiple verbs is how changing the word order might change the meaning. So in this sentence, we have yo and we have guzuo. Those two are both verbs. So let's change around the word order of the sentence and say, 你有能力自己工作吗? That would imply that you can work individually as opposed to with a team. But 你自己 有能力工作吗? This is more like, do you have the ability to work? Do you yourself have the ability to work? And you might ask, well, why would you even say 自己? And like the context I can imagine where you might say 你自己有能力工作吗? would be uh, if we were talking, suppose you were talking about the, like the idea of working on your own or, uh, sorry, not working on your own, uh, having the ability to work, uh, whether it's like, you know, you're late in life and you're near retirement or you're uh, talking with people who have disabilities of some sort, and then you're talking about it in general or maybe about other people, and then you turn to somebody and say, kind of like saying, how about you? Do you yourself have the ability to work? And that's the context where you might see that. And this, once again, exemplifies why you have to move beyond just individual sentences uh, to get your understanding of context and what words mean and why they're used in certain spots. Because if you just have one sentence, you don't have the surrounding context that would make that clear. So that's why we always emphasize after phase three, you know, keep doing sentences, keep doing words, keep doing individual characters, but then expand also to longer form content. Uh, and, you know, generally, like, don't stress about it too much. But yeah, and again, if we change it around to 你有能力自己工作吗? So the first part of the sentence is, do you have the ability, ability to, to, to do what? 自己工作, right? So to uh, work by yourself. And that, that would imply what Alexander suggested. Next, Kate Gans on 土豆 in context. In the sentence, 吃土豆牛肉不是更好吗? Do I understand correctly that no conjunctions or commas are needed here between tudo and nyoro? How do we distinguish separate items in a list if we don't use commas? Right. So first of all, this is a part of a longer form content discussing uh, 
potatoes and, and beef and different foods you can eat. Uh, and so that kind of helps because you know what the ultimate point of the longer form content is. But sometimes when you have like, you know, Chinese is like any language. Sometimes if you have something that's like generally in the same category, so like, uh, and of course you can categorize things down to very small, uh, portions, but both potatoes and beef are food, right? And they're even foods that tend to go together, right? So, uh, they're in that general category and, especially if you're in this sentence, it's very clear that there's some kind of comparison being made, right? Because they're asking a rhetorical question. They're saying eating potatoes and beef, isn't that even better? You know, right? So if you're saying gung, there must be some comparison you're making right now. You can tell that just from reading the sentence because of the presence of gung, but there must be like, you know, uh, if you could eat, I don't know, um, leaves off a tree, wouldn't, um, to potatoes and beef be better. Right. So, um, in this case, you can see how, like, it's like the feeling I have from reading this is that when you see it in context, you'll know. And because they're in a similar category, you can drop the, um, and so what I would take from this Kate is just that sometimes you can, uh, drop a conjunction if the rest of the context is really clear, just to save time, just to be more efficient with your language. They're both fine, but like since they're, and also there's, there's, um, you know, another thing about this, I think it might be related to the pronunciation a little bit too, because think about how they both end on fourth tone with the OU ending. And also, could be considered addition of in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's another element to this is that, um, yeah, there's there's dishes that are called, like, for example, is a really common dish here in China, and means to broil. So, like, uh, broiled beef and potatoes, right? And, but even just saying, that's what you would call the dish. Like, so suppose I cooked dinner tonight and I made beef and potatoes. Uh, you would call that dish, you know, and so that's an element of it too, that it could be. But you, I do definitely see uh, the being dropped if the context is clear enough. So what we should take from this is just that you can do this sometimes. And your question about how do we distinguish separate items in a list if we don't use commas? Well, on the one hand, depends on what you're defining as separate, because if it is one dish, then it's not a separate item. The dish is one thing, uh, beef and potatoes. But, um, if, even if they are separate, I mean, the separation is just that they're obviously two separate words. So like, uh, Essentially, what you just take from this is that you can drop the conjunction sometimes uh, if the context is obvious, and uh, I wouldn't worry too much about your ability to distinguish between them moving forward. You'll just get the hang of it uh, as you continue to see the difference between uh, words, because like obviously this type of sentence structure could apply to many things, not just um, you know food products. Christine on vocab unlocked from Xiao. 这个箱子很轻巧。
Right, so she says, I don't really know what the function of lian is in this sentence. So the first part of the sentence is really straightforward. It's this uh, box is light <laughs> it's a, as opposed to heavy, right? Now, the next bit, lian, xiaohaizi, dou. So when you see lian and dou combined or lian and ye, really dou and ye can be interchanged for the most part. So you could also say, uh, right? So the ending here, means that they can, they're able to lift and move, right? So is to lift something up, usually from your side, right? And then means to move. So would be to the action of lifting and moving, and ti de dong would mean that you're capable of lifting and moving, right? So, what is the lian and do meaning here? So, xiao haizi uh, are the sort of object being talked about here, and what we're, what we're saying is that even kids can uh, have the ability to lift and move this box because it's so light, right? So, um, that's what lian can be used for in that sense of even this thing. So even children also. So like when it's combined with ye, ye translates to also. So, um, but do makes sense in its own way. Even all children can, uh, are able to lift and move. Um, but you could say even children also can lift and move, right? So it's kind of, that's the idea there. And um, lian means to connect, right? So in a way, I can see how that works here as a general uh, uh, sort of idea because lian xiaohaizi, right? So we've got even, but we're, we're what the you're kind of doing in the sentence is you're connecting to something else. Like, so you're saying this box is very light and I'm going to connect that to the idea that children can also move the box are able to move the box and so uh lian in that way kind of connects a little bit back to its original meaning of to connect so it means even 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 these kids can also move the box Next, we're going to go into our movie scene shares, and this is where people share their full mnemonic Hanza movie method scenes to learn individual characters. And we'll start with Robert Toms on Make a Movie for R, which means ear. Uh, it's uh, R, the, is your, are your ears. And um, what we pointed out was that this character is really the character for uh, Mu, which is I, the eyeball character, the ancient eyeball character, and but just with extended strokes. So um, that and and it's, it, because the strokes are extended, the stroke order is a little bit different. But still, it's kind of just the same character, but with extended outer strokes. And so he says, I think I'm going to have some trouble remembering which parts of the eye are elongated. So I made a scene with its constituent. Parts. So this is kind of cool. A giant nail falls from the sky into the bedroom of my childhood home. 
piercing the Monty Python god. Yeah, nice. This is a good choice of prop for Shang. So right now we've got Ding and Shang. And let's see here. So it pierces the Monty Python god through the ear and thudding heavily onto the floor. Jackie Chan leaps into action to free the Monty Python god, chopping off the affected ear with a machete. Now, without his ear, the god has his head wrapped like Van Gogh, who is my prop for this character. Nice. And of course, yeah, sure, Van Gogh is a good uh, ultimate prop uh, to pick for this character. And as a reminder, this is one of the few times in the Hansa movie method that we have uh, the special case of Jackie Chan in your childhood home because R is uh, a special pronunciation. It doesn't fall into the rules of pinion initial plus pinion final plus tone. It doesn't have really an initial or final. It's, it's kind of its own thing. It's the only case where this happens, so it doesn't really work with the rest of the Hens of Movie Methods system for actor sets and props. So we just say, if it's Jackie Chan in your childhood home, it's R. And then whichever room it is, is the tone. In this case, the bedroom, so it's R, third tone. And uh, the giant nail is basically the top stroke and the right side stroke. The uh, Monty Python god is the left vertical stroke, the bottom stroke, and one of the middle strokes. And then the final middle stroke is the machete. And so I love this scene. So well done, Robert. That's a great scene for that. I mean, I, I do think that R is one of those characters that you'll kind of, you, you can kind of just get that one pretty easy, easily because it's so visually distinct, but still uh, awesome. And I love that you threw in Van Gogh there at the end. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Tuan. So, Tuan, this is a great word that means, or character, well, it can be a word, uh, a character that means to pass on to someone else. Like, so, uh, you pass on a tradition, uh, or you pass on a system, Tuan Tong. So, that's the word for tradition in Chinese, is pass on systems. That's kind of cool, right? Uh, so, that is what a tradition is. This thing, this system worked for our generation, so we're going to pass it on to the next generation. And then the next generation goes, cool, or they go, it doesn't apply anymore. And so, hence the uh, constant conversation we must be having as societies. <laughs> um, but, uh, so that's what chuan means, and there's lots of different, uh, here's one relevant to this day and age of uh, pandemic is chuan ran. So, ran means to infect. Uh, and so, chuan uh, is uh, to pass on an infection. So, it's basically to um, spread the, a disease. Uh, and gan um, ran is to become infected. Uh, so, like, that's a interesting one there. And anyway, you'll come across those words later. For now, let's listen to Rick's story, uh, his scene on Make a Movie for Chuan. Some time ago, the Chu actor, the Chu actor, invited Chuck Norris, left side component, and James Bond, right side component, over a drink in the kitchen of the AN set. The Chu actor begs them to pass on some of their special talents to him, like some martial arts moves and acting tips before they pass on to the next life. I would say not acting tips because that would be Sean Connery. It's James Bond, so some secret agent tips. Uh, some martial arts tips from Chuck Norris and some secret agent tips from uh, James Bond. 
So they spent the whole day showing off and passing on to him some of their karate moves. And uh, so you could montage that, right? So, uh, and, you know, show, like, you know, have those, that scene that is always in every movie that shows passing on of a skill where it's like the older uh, wise mentor is there and like the young guys there and you're just sort of showing him the thing in the montage. It's like such a classic movie trope. So nice. I love that one from Rick. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Juan. Now the ZHU actor is in the basement slash garage, third tone, of the AN set. Buys the special edition car of James Bond. So that's the two components. Here are some of the features he likes. It can smoothly shift Juan itself to boat mode and dive into the sea. Or change Juan to flight mode and fly. The car can turn right, yo Juan, or left in an instant, uh, which would be zuo Juan, or even make a tight U-turn, Juan Bian. After the sale, they faxed Juan Fa. That would be forward. Juan Fa means to forward, so like forward an email. But I, I mean, maybe there was a time in faxing's history where they would use that. But uh, faxing is Chuan Zhen, uh, which is that character we talked about previously, Chuan. But anyway, going back, they faxed Juan Fa the transfer of ownership, Juan Zhang, of such a special car to him. So I like what Rick is doing here. He's trying to apply how Juan works in several different words into his story. Brilliant. Great stuff, because this will help you get a sense of the character. And this is what naturally happens when you get into the intermediate course and beyond, is that there's so many words that get unlocked, you really get a sense of a character that's deeper than just the English keyword. So like Juan means to rotate, right? But it also means to shift, like shifting gears. It also means to um, hand over, which is kind of like, you can imagine that a building has a rotating set of owners. So it's handing over to the next owner, right? So Juan Zhang, you'll see Juan Zhang on the uh, build or on the front of a shop that's closed and they're change they're gonna change it to another owner soon. So like went out of business and we're gonna join Rung this place to the next one. Uh, and Zhang means of course to yield or let in. So it's like rotate to let in the next person, right? It's pretty cool. And um, also I would just point out that Juan Bian, he put there as a tight U-turn, Juan Bian is actually more of like a um, maybe that's one of its meanings it's archaic meanings but usually when people say u-turn they just say um uh delto uh, right so delto uh diao is like to drop but toe is like your head so you can imagine delto is like you drop your head you turned around completely right so um that's actually the most colloquial way to say u-turn Juan bian is usually a turning point so a Juan bian is like oh the um the 49ers were beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year, but then Patrick Mahomes came in and everything Juan Bien for the Chiefs and they ended up winning. Like there was the turning point. Or the, um, you know, uh, uh, the German army was having success invading Russia until the Juan Bien came and Russian winter, uh, you know, defeated them, whatever. So it's like the turning point. That's more what Juan Bien means. But still, regardless of that, Rick's uh, approach here, please, if you get a chance to do this, do it. This is a great idea for uh, improving your scenes and getting a sense of the words. Rick Santos on Make a Movie for Gong, which is 
the this is the character for like provide for. Um, so let's see here. In the ONG set outside the entrance, the Gmail actor brings out a big wooden hammer, which is the left side component here, okay, and square gong mounted on an easel, which is his easel is the right side component. And of course, he has a gong because that represents the um, pronunciation and the sound mnemonic. Obviously, so does the G actor being outside the entrance of the ONG set, but hey, why not solidify it? The G actor strikes the gong, and suddenly Chuck Norris appears with 20... Okay, sorry, he's making a recapitulation of, of Nian, and, which means 20. Okay, appears with 20 of his staff and crew in one scene. Okay, nice. Chuck Norris announces that he offers Gong to distribute to them all his earnings for the past 20 years in one ego, and divide... <laughs> and divide ba, which is the bottom right component, of it equally among them. So it can be said that Chuck Norris truly provides gong for his people very well, ensuring they have enough supply gong yung thereafter. Uh, then another strike of gong and they all disappear. Gmail actor reappears amidst the smoke and carries away the wooden hammer and the easel he furnished gong earlier as props, while slowly fades the gonging sound in the background so yeah excellent stuff obviously rick is willing to play around with the definition of props and throw in vocab words there but what i like is that rick is is finding as many connections as he can and i would be curious like you know rick if you want to at any point give us some feedback about this if doing it this way ever confuses you because like obviously you're multi-representing different components at certain points like you know you have the easel which represents the entirety of the right side uh, and you have the big wooden hammer which you kind of said was the left side and then you also have chuck norris and you have the easel and then the 20 plus the uh uh the one crew or one go which is representative e and then the eight uh ba animal legs on the bottom right which also represents the same thing that easel represents so i'm curious if that at any point gets confusing for you um but i don't think it would just thinking about it myself just now i think you would pretty much get it so nice next we have Ija on make a movie for z she said i used to have a lot of trouble remembering the keyword for this character but then after learning that beiji is the extreme north aka the north pole it was extremely easy to remember yeah so like Ji, uh, Beiji, uh, the, and of course, Nanji is the South Pole. So yeah, the North Extreme or the South Extreme, uh, great like, to recognize that. You can also say Jila after a, uh, an adjective. So like, Hao Jila, Hao Jila. So extremely good, right? And that's kind of like the highest level of modifier you can add, you know, like Fei Chang, Fei Chang Hao is like very good, right? Uh, is especially good, you know, and, but like, is like, you can't go really higher than that. So excellent. Nice. Hank Elliott on make a movie for Xian, which means fresh. I'll also just point out since this is going to be the video for Xian, that this can also be pronounced Xian, uh, when it is in a certain, um, certain uh, words and the most common is Chaoxian, which is the Chinese word for North Korea. So uh, when you see 
North Korea, you might be inclined to want to call it Chaoxian, but it's Chaoxian. But when it means fresh, it's Xian, first tone. So the keyword is fresh. The actor is the XI female Xena warrior princess. Yes, I know she is supposed to be a real female, but isn't Xena real in all our hearts? She sure is, Hank. Set, my daughter's friend Andy's house. Location, front yard, props, Moby Dick, and a sheep. Nice. So Xena is outside of Andy's house trying to decide which stinks more, whale meat or sheep meat. <laughs> but since they are both so fresh, she can't decide and eats them both. <laughs> nice. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's funny. Like she's trying to come up. She's like, hmm, which one? And then she just gives a big old sniff. And then she's just like, no, oh, it's fine. And another big old sniff. And she's like, hmm, oh, actually. <laughs> and she, yeah, I could see how the facial expressions could really help with that one. Nice. Hank Elliott on Make a Movie for Yuan which means desire. The actor is Yara Greyjoy. All my gods or leaders are Game of Thrones folks, so fair enough. Set daughter's friend Andy's house in the bathroom. So we have the artist originally known as Prince and a heart. So like the character Yuan, which makes up everything in this character except for the heart component, is means original. So the his prop for this element is the artist originally known as Prince. I like that. Um, and then, of course, a heart. So, Yara Greyjoy walks into the bathroom of Andy's house only to find the artist originally known as Prince dressing in there. Of course, she wanted him as do all women and, and men. Okay, yeah, right. So, she wanted him. Her desire was strong because he was naked singing a love song and his sweet, loving, hot heart was bare for all to see. So obviously, you know, this scene, uh, you can have it be as PG as you want or as NC-17 as you want to make it memorable, but I like it. And, uh, you know, Prince being involved, and of course, desire is often linked to uh, our more sort of carnal desires. So great stuff. Awesome. Next, Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Ty, which kind of means to pluck. Deathly afraid of heights. Chris Rock is in the bedroom at Grandma Groves, AI, climbing up to the top of the 15-foot-tall Christmas tree, Mu, to put on the star. To him, it feels like 1,000 feet high. Once he gets up there, he feels what he believes to be eagle talons pluck his hair, and he falls to the ground. All right, so, you know, there's obviously a lot of sort of emotion you can put into this scene if you're saying that Chris Chris Rock is afraid of heights, which, you know, it doesn't matter whether Chris Rock really is afraid of heights or not. It's just a matter of um, in the scene he is. So you can imagine he's just going up, this fear keeps building and keeps building in, and then uh, the eagle talons come and pluck his hair. And, of course, the you're associating a lot with how he'll feel with that and how terrifying that would be, which will make it easier to remember. Nice. George Lohr on Make a Movie for Jing. I like this character, by the way. So this character, Jing, means sort of um, refined, exquisite, uh, the, the best quality, right? And it's what it is, what its original meaning was, was the uh, rice that was the very best rice in a bag. So you would like filter through the rice and they had some kind of methodology for figuring out which of the grains of rice were the best. And then they would put all of those grass, those best grains of rice into one bag and they would call that jing, right? So that's why it means like exquisite and refined, right? 
Julia Roberts steps out of my ENG site carrying a bowl of rice she wants to refine. Okay, nice. She would have never expected that someone has placed a bucket of sapphires in front of the entry. So that'll be the right side component. She quickly takes the jewels and mixes them with the rice. That's a pretty good refinement. Hopefully nobody has seen her. She hastily sneaks back into the house to hide herself and her special refined rice. Yeah, I like that. Um, it fits in even in with the definition in a lot of ways. So uh, awesome. And of course, sapphires are exquisite, which is another sort of element to this. Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Tzit. And Tzit means both to uh, borrow and to lend. Uh, so, you know, it just, you have to pay attention to the context to figure out whether it's like, you know, uh, I'll give you, I'll loan you my pencil or my pen. Um, and right. So it's like, uh, you thank you for, uh, letting me borrow, uh, your, um, your pen, right? So it's, it's kind of both, but then again, they are similar concepts. Janet Jackson is in the bathroom at Barton, meticulously watching Mr. T practice Kung Fu for hours with his hook swords. He practices from the evening until the sun rises the next day. After three days, Janet finally asks, may I borrow a pair of hook swords to practice with you? Mr. T agrees and they practice together. Nice, got all the props covered here. And, you know, I think that uh, the there's a lot of, they'll rely on the facial expressions and like when she asks, she doesn't have to actually have to say the words because she could just kind of go up and you see her going like, you know, can I borrow the thing? She doesn't have to say it, just is asking. Then Mr. T goes like, and then hands it to her and then they both continue. And you can see the act of lending and borrowing happens in that moment. So uh, excellent stuff. That concludes this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. You can head over to mandarinblueprint.com to learn more about the Mandarin Blueprint method. And if you'd like to see a question addressed on the podcast, you can send an email to podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. See you next week.